Exodus chapter number 12, if you found it, say amen. Verse number one, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and Ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in the, that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter, bitter herbs they shall eat it. This is a passage primarily preached from during the Passover season, the Easter season. But uh, I want to do a study on the first few verses of this chapter, some things that I feel like the Lord would have us to hear. And I want to, I guess if I was going to title it, what I would title it is Every Man a Lamb. Every man a lamb. Aren't you thankful there's a lamb for everybody? Amen. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, for your anointing, for your word, for the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, God. I thank you because there is life in this book. God, there's power in this book. There's the ability to turn lives around. I pray that your anointing would give me your mercy and grace, God to open your word, God, that we can mine out of it what you would have for us, for our lives. I pray, God, for everyone that's here in the house of the Lord. I pray for every class that's taking place on our campus and for everyone that's watching our online service tonight. I pray your blessing and that you confirm your word with signs following in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise tonight as you're being seated in the name of the Lord. The Bible is a book about deliverance. It's about relationship with God, and it is a book about new beginnings. By the time we get to the book of Exodus, chapter number 12, God's people already had over 2,000 years of history with him. You think about the rich heritage that by the time you get to this early point in the scripture, Adam and Eve, Noah, Enoch, Methuselah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Levi, all of the patriarchs, in their very recent past, they had just experienced a burning bush and a sign to Moses, nine plagues that had been sent against Egypt, but they had been kept safe in the land of Goshen. They had much history and experience with God already. Generation after generation had known God, seen his work. 
God was not new to Israel. The idea of God and worshiping God was not new to them. They already had these thousands of years of history with him. And then in Exodus chapter number 12, after 2,000 plus years of relationship with, between God and the people of God, God in Exodus 12 and 1 the Bible says the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. After all of this time, after all of this history, after all of this experience with him, God begins to speak to Moses and Aaron. But my favorite part of this verse is that phrase, in the land of Egypt. Here they are over 420 kilometers from Jerusalem, far from where they were supposed to be. The original plan for Jacob and his sons when they originally went into Egypt was what the Bible said to sojourn in the land, a temporary dwelling. It was never intended to be a long-term situation. The famine was going to last seven years, and when the famine was over, they were supposed to get up and to go home. That was the promise that they made to Pharaoh. We're here to sojourn. That's why we've come. You've asked us why we've come to your land, and this is why we've come. The famine is sore, and we have come to sojourn in the land of Egypt until the famine is over. What started as just a seven-year trip to escape a famine turned into 400 years of living in Egypt. You see, there is a problem because when you plan to go to Egypt, what you begin as a pleasure, they got too comfortable, they found life too easy in Egypt. And so what became a pleasure soon turned into a prison. What was originally intended to save them became bondage for them, became slavery, and that's how it is when sin gets a hold of somebody's life. It starts as a pleasure, and it ends as a prison. You cannot play with sin because sin plays for keeps. You may think I'm going to do this for a little while, but that little while soon turns into 400 years and generations of bondage. But in the middle of Egypt, after 400 years of bondage, sighing and crying by reason of their affliction, God begins to speak to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. And can I tell you, there are some folks that left the church, that left the presence of God, and they never intended to stay out of church. But that short visit into sin turned into a lifetime of bondage. I know people that as young people, they thought, well, I'm going to go and enjoy a few years of my youth and I'll come back to God when I get a little older. I'll come back when it's time. And that little bit of time in the world has turned into raising their children with no knowledge of God whatsoever. That's how sin is, but I want to believe, 
I want to believe that somewhere while they're out in Egypt, God's getting ready to talk to them again. I want to believe that somewhere out there in the world, while they're far from where they ought to be and far from the presence of God and far from where God has called them to live, that while they're in their Egypt, that God's getting ready to speak to some folks and bring them back in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you, God, speak to them in dreams. Speak to them however you got to. Shake them, oh God, but somehow or another, talk to somebody while they're living in their Egypt land. The Bible said that God spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, and in verse number 2 of Exodus 12, he said, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. That is, to me, an astounding phrase. I've already recounted for you the over 2,000 years of history that they have with God. Moses is, is, is hearing from God, but Moses isn't the first one of those people to ever hear from God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Enoch walked with God so much that he was translated. Here you have Abraham, the patriarch, the father of faith, Isaac and Jacob. You have all this history with God, Joseph, the dreamer who saw dreams and heard from God. All of this, all of this history, God had recently moved for them. When there were frogs in the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen was spared. When it was total darkness in Egypt, Goshen was spared. When it was flies and boils and blains over Egypt, Goshen, God's people, they had seen as even in Egypt, God kept them and God made a way for them. And now God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you have a brand new beginning. This is going to be the beginning of months. I know we've got a history, and I know we've got a past, and I know you can go all the way back and see a whole lot of history, but I'm going to give you the opportunity for a brand new beginning starting right now. I know you have bondage in your past. I know you have slavery I know you've been a servant to Egypt, but starting right now, we're starting fresh with a brand new beginning. Amen. I said it a minute ago, but I want to believe that somewhere, maybe somebody watching online right now that's been away from God, that maybe God's trying to tell them, I'm getting ready to give you a brand new start. I'm getting ready to give you a brand new beginning. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Amen. And I'm going to let you start all over. He said, it shall be the first month of the year to you. God declares you're getting a fresh start. After bondage and slavery, you're getting a brand new beginning. Can I tell you tonight that fresh starts are, are gifts from God? They, but, but new beginnings and fresh starts, they're gifts from God, but they're not without conditions. Exodus 12 and 3, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. I'm going to let you have a new beginning. I'm going to let you have a, fr a fresh start. But you're going to have some responsibility in your own regeneration. I'm going to let you start all over. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. But if you want to be brought out of Egypt, there's some things you've got to do yourself. 
He said, on the 10th day of the month, every man has to go find a lamb. You're not just going to just get out of jail free card. You're not just going to just get out. You got to go and you got to find a lamb. And it's got to be on the 10th day of the month. That is the month on the Hebrew calendar of Nizan. And on this 10th day, as the Passover became a national holiday that they have celebrated now for almost 6,000 years, or I'm sorry, for almost 4,000 years, this holiday that they have celebrated, the 10th day of that month, today is known as Lamb Selection Day. They still go, and they still select a lamb. It's that 10th day of the month on, the, on what we now call Palm Sunday. It was that they would go and select a lamb. As they went on, it was the priests, the Sadducees and the priests that would raise the lambs. Those, these lambs are, were raised in the city, in the town and area around Bethlehem. The lambs from Bethlehem would be led to Jerusalem. They would enter in at the sheep gate and they would come to the temple complex where the men could come and select a lamb for their house. It became known as Lamb Selection Day. I, I would like, if I, had, if I had more time, I would tell you how that it was on that same day, the 10th day of the month, that they believed that Jesus came through the sheep gate in Jerusalem when they cried Hosanna to the highest. And it was the Lamb coming in on Lamb Selection Day when Jesus came through that very same gateway that they had brought those lambs for Passover for all those generations when Jesus rode that donkey through the sheep gate. What he was saying is, I'm your lamb. Here I am. Pick me. Choose me. And I'm telling you, he's still asking people to choose him over sin, over the world, over all the things that this world has to offer. Amen. I wish that today would be lamb selection day for somebody. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. Every home on this day, when God told them on the 10th day of the month, everybody in Israel, every home has to have a lamb. I'll bring you out, but you've got to have a lamb. Verse number four, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Notice this phrase, Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Every man, according to his eating. When you got up that morning on lamb selection day to go down to the temple complex and pick your lamb for your house, you would have to try to keep in mind, okay, now who am I feeding here? I got to understand who... I have, I got to understand their appetites. I got to know how hungry they're going to be because I've got to get enough lamb to fill everybody according to their appetite. I will tell you today that I still believe that when we come to the house of God, that people get as much lamb as their appetite determines. You watch folks that don't pray, they don't worship, they don't get involved in the service, they never come around the altar, they never get involved in a ministry. They're getting just as much lamb as their appetite determines. But you watch some folks, they come hungry for God. 
They come hungry for the presence of God. And it doesn't matter what, it almost doesn't matter what you do, they're going to worship. Amen. I have always said, and I, I've often said, not always, because I, didn't, I wasn't born able to talk, but I've said for a long time that you just about, every service is determined. We have three groups of people in every church. It's been this way in every church I've ever been to. It's been in every church I've ever preached at. You have three groups of people. You have a group of people that no matter what happens, they're going to worship and they're going to pray. You can count on them, right? You can say amen. You're here on Wednesday night. It might just be you I'm talking about right there. When I'm saying something good for you, say amen. That way I'll say it again. But you have a group of people, you can count on them. They're going to be faithful. They're going to worship. They're going to pray. They're going to say amen once in a while. They are going to be engaged in what's happening. And then you also have in every church that group of people that it doesn't matter what you're going to have to do. It doesn't matter what you sing, what you preach, what you say, who you bring in. They're going to come. They're going to sit. They're going to turn. They're going to go home, and they're not going to do anything while they're there. Brother Contreras, he preached our district conference last Friday night, and he, he talked about some guy that had his hands folded. I think that's what he said. Sometimes when he gets talking Cajun, I can't understand him. But uh, he was talking about a guy that just had his arms folded during church, and he was preaching and preaching and preaching. He finally said, do I have to stand on my head to get you to move? And the guy didn't move, so he stood on his head. I ain't doing it. But you have that group of people. You stand on your head. They're not going to do anything. But almost every service is determined not by the group that always does and the group that never does, but that group in the middle in which way they swing. The mindset of the middle always determines what kind of service you have. You only get as much lamb to match your appetite. And if you come hungry, he'll feed you. But if you come full, you won't get anything. He said, when you go looking for your lamb, you got to get as much as your appetites in your home determine. I will tell you that our houses have as much God in them as we want. Hallelujah. Maybe I should say we have as much God in our homes as we've made room for. If our appetites are more for Hollywood and music than they are for God, then you'll have more Hollywood and music than you do God. If you have more of an appetite for bickering and arguing and fighting than you do for peace and harmony, then that's what you'll have. Your, ap your appetites will determine how much lamb is in your home. Amen. That's good preaching right there. Praise God. You pick a lamb that fit your appetite for your house. Let him, according to his eating, let him make his count for the lamb. On lamb selection day, they had the responsibility to pick the right lamb. Verse number five said, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, he shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. God wanted his people to have high standards for their life. A lamb without blemish. Don't get just some old, dirty, scarred up lamb. If, 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 if this is about redemption, and this is about deliverance, and this is about living free, and this is about getting out of Egypt, then don't risk your deliverance on a second-rate lamb. Amen. If it's about eternity and deliverance and freedom, 
then get you a lamb without blemish. Let me just throw this out there. I don't want an easy gospel. I don't want an easy standard of living. God wants us to have high standards for our life. You will get in life whatever you accept. If you accept unfaithfulness, you'll be unfaithful. If you accept prayerlessness, you'll be prayerless. If you accept worldliness, you'll be worldly. God said, don't just pick any lamb. You get the best you can do. I'm telling you, I want to have all of God I can get, and I want to live the best Christian life I can live. God said, have a high standard. Get a lamb without a blemish. Don't settle in life when it comes to spirituality and living for God and deliverance and, and, and being set free from bondage. Don't take shortcuts in picking your lamb. Amen. Praise the Lord. So now, God says, I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'll get you away from Pharaoh. You won't be in bondage and slavery anymore. But you got to get the lamb. You got to do something. You can't just sit and wait. I told somebody just a few days ago, I went and visited someone, and they they were, they were uh, complaining about some things in their life. And I said, look, God's not going to be your drug. God's not going to be your drug just to make you feel better when you want him to. You've got to prove you're going to live for him. You have an investment in your own deliverance. So the, these lambs would be raised by the priests in Bethlehem and brought into the city of Jerusalem to the, the temple complex and the people would go and they would pick their lamb for their house. The priest at that point had done all he could do. He had got the lamb to the temple complex and now it's up to the people. Exodus 12 and 6, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, the priest has done his job, but now you've got a responsibility at keeping your lamb clean and holy until the time of the sacrifice. Now it's not the priest's lamb anymore. It's not the temple's lamb anymore. Now it's your lamb, and it's your responsibility at some point, all of us have to take personal responsibility for our relationship and our walk with God. At some point, the priest and the church has done all they can do, and it's up to you to take the lamb home with you. I got a lot of stuff I want to cover. Verse number seven, and they shall take up the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because they would, they would take the lamb and slay the lamb and catch the blood in a basin. They would take a branch of hyssop and they would dredge it through that basin and they would apply the blood on the door posts of the house and over the top. And, and sometimes when you look at at artist rendering, that blood is, is so neatly put. You know, it's so fancy and, you know, like, 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 like who's that, who's that, that, that 
old artists that used to do the Saturday Evening Post uh, covers. Norman Rockwell, like Norman Rockwell went around and painted everybody's doorposts. A branch of hyssop wasn't artwork. It was desperation. That daddy knows that I've got to make sure that blood is applied to the door of my house. I'm not trying to be pretty. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make all my neighbors think I got the, 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 the most cultured blood splatters on my house compared to theirs. This is desperation. I've got to keep life in my house. I've got to do whatever it takes. I'm not leaving not one drop of blood in this basin. I'm putting it as, as I'm getting every, I'm doing every single thing. Can you imagine the mindset of a dad that would have a basin full of blood and just take a little bit and think, well, that's probably good enough. He didn't tell me how much blood to put. He just said, put blood. I can't imagine what kind of father would do that. I, every parent that, that loves their child would take every last drop of blood out of there and they would make sure their house was covered as good as they could because every other plague, had been on Egypt only, but now when it comes to this plague, this is not selective. I'm gonna tell you, death isn't selective. Death doesn't just come to the sinner. Death comes to everybody's door. And when death comes to everybody's door, it's the ones that have the blood on their life that survive it and make it through. Amen. And so it wasn't a pretty thing. It's this responsibility of the person that's about to be delivered. And so they take the blood and they put it on the outside of the house. And then verse number eight, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, they, they shall eat it. Now, it's not enough just to have the lamb on the outside of the house. They had to eat the lamb. They had to be on the outside and the inside. There's some people that have it all right on the outside and on the inside, they don't have anything. And there's some people that have a lot on the inside, but they had never let God work on the outside. But if you weren't brought out of Egypt, it takes inside and outside, don't it? Amen. The lamb on the outside is good, but he said, don't just leave it on the outside. You got to eat it. You got to get it inside of you. It's got to become part of you you got to get that so inside of you that becomes part of who you are. you got to take the nourishment in that flesh of that lamb, and you gotta, you got to roast it with fire. Don't eat any wet lamb. He said, don't have it sodden. Don't have it raw. You cook it. Let me tell you, there's nothing wor worse than a cold, wet blanket church that's supposed to be an apostolic. Amen. Can I, can I take that application one step further? Because this church can't be cold by itself, and this church can't be all wet by itself. If it's that way, it's because some of us are. And so if I can extend that a little bit more, there's not much worse than a cold, wet, blanket, apostolic person. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. That's good preaching. I have to say it myself because it's Bible preaching. You got to get it inside of you. It's not enough just to have it on the outside. I got to get it on the inside. I've got to let that lamb become every part of my life. In much of the world, much of the world, 
Uh, lamb is, is a nearly everyday meal. Easy to raise, inexpensive to raise. And all over the world, people love that, the, the, the rich taste of the meat of a lamb. But it wasn't only the sweet taste of the lamb that was part of the deliverance. The Bible said you have to take the unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall you eat it. God said, look, you have to have some bitterness to go along with the goodness. Life isn't only about what you like. Living for God isn't only about what you like. It's not only about the sweet taste of the lamb, but there's some bitterness in life that you just have to deal with. And so when you take the lamb, just understand that that doesn't mean that everything in life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's never going to be any bitterness and trials and tests. But part of deliverance is learning how to enjoy the lamb even when you're dealing with some bitterness. Learning how to enjoy the lamb even when you're facing struggle and trial and tribulation and temptation. It's learning to understand that you can enjoy the taste of the lamb at the same time that you're having to eat some bitterness at the same time. At the same table is the sweet lamb and the bitter herbs. And I found that there's been times in my life when I've had to have both at the same table. Can you say amen? amen? This world supplies plenty of bitterness in life. Exodus 12, 9 and 10. I'm almost done, folks. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water. I, I jumped the gun on that portion a little bit. But roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning shall you burn with fire. The head, the legs, and the pertinence. Pertinence were the parts that most of the time we like to take out and not eat. The, 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 the Hebrew calls it entrails. It's not a very appetizing word, is it? It's not very appetizing, is it? I know the baby didn't like it. <laughs> entrails. The head, the legs, and the pertinence thereof. When you partake the lamb, you do so with the understanding that we take it all. I don't pick my favorite parts. God, I want the miracles, but I don't want a prayer life. God, I like to come on Sunday night when they shout, but I don't want to come on Wednesday night when it's boring. Like Kate, when she was little, you said, it's boring. God, I want the revival services, but I, I don't want the prayer and fasting. I want the authority and the spirit to pray for the sick and to cast out devils, but I don't want the life of separation 
and holiness that makes me stand out from the people that I see at work or at school. Give me the good parts, but don't give me the pertinence. I want all the good parts about living for God. I want the joy and the peace, and I want, I want, the, I want heaven, and I want all of that, but I, I don't want to have to work in the kingdom. Don't make me be a Sunday school teacher. I don't want to wipe kids' noses. Don't, don't, just give me the good parts. Let me just have the exciting part about living for God. Let me have the parts that I enjoy, but, but God, I don't want the pertinence. But God said, look, when it comes to getting out of Egypt, you don't decide what parts of the lamb that you pick. It's not a buffet. He said you take all of it. It's head, his legs, with the pertinence thereof. Let nothing of it remain. You've got to take every part of living for God. Let me tell you, if you'll settle the pertinence question, you'll have a whole lot more peace in your walk with God. If you'll quit looking at the things that God sent to bless your life as unsavory, and you'll quit looking at the things that God sent to help you to be strong and ready for your march out of Egypt, if you'll quit looking at it as a negative and you'll understand God gave me that for my strength and for my health. He's trying to get me ready to leave Egypt. He's trying to nourish me enough so we can, I can get out of Egypt. So I'm not going to look at prayer meeting and pre-service prayer as pertinence of living for God. I'm not going to look at living a holiness standard as pertinence. I'm not going to look at, at fasting as pertinence. I'm not going to look at, at these things that I don't enjoy about I don't know anybody that likes to fast. But it's not pertinence. It's intended to give us strength for the journey we're about to take. I think often about Jacob and his love for Rachel. The Bible said she was beautiful and well-favored. I don't know any man who wants to purposely marry an ugly woman. I mean, she may not be ugly in his sight. Everybody sees people differently, thank the Lord. Jacob looked at Rachel and said, she's beautiful and well-favored. Then he looked at Leah and thought, my God, she's tenderized. Jacob marries Leah by the trick of her father. He has to trick him. He waits until it's dark. They didn't have street lights. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have solar-powered lights that come on when the sun goes, dusk to dawn. No, no. He went in the tent and thought he was consummating his marriage with beautiful, well-favored Rachel. And he woke up in the morning, stretched, yawned, and looked over, and oh, no, behold, it was Leah. He went to the dad and he drug her back and he said, here, take her. What have you done to me? Why have you dealt with me like this? And listen to what the father said. He said, look, this is a different country than the one you're used to. You come to a different country, you got to play by the customs and the laws of that, of that country. He said, and here, 
You don't marry the younger before the elder. He said, so if you want Rachel, he said, you've got to fulfill Leah's week. You've got to stay married to Leah. And if you'll be married to Leah, I'll give you Rachel to wife also. Jacob said, well, I served you for Rachel. Yeah, you served me for Rachel, but I'm still the father here. And if you, and this is how this country works. And so he stays married to Leah. He finally gets Rachel. Rachel's beautiful but unproductive. Leah is tender-eyed, whatever that means. But she gives birth to Reuben, Simeon. She gives birth to Levi. She gives birth to Judah. Levi is the tribe of the priesthood. She gives birth to ministry. She gives birth to the tribe of Judah. Judah is praise. She gives birth to the praisers. Not only is Judah the praiser, but Judah's the warrior. They go into battle first. Not only is Judah, is Judah the, the warrior and the praiser, but Judah is also the tribe that the Messiah came from. Leah gives birth to ministry. She gives birth to praise. She gives birth to victory. And she gives birth to salvation. And all the beauty of Rachel. When Rachel dies, they bury her in the cave. They bury her. But then when Leah dies, now after all these years, Jacob has realized there's something very valuable about Leah. Don't, don't bury her here. Take her back to the patriarchs of the fathers. And so back in March of 2020, I was in Hebron with some folks from our church, and we went to what was one of my favorite places. It was only surpassed to me by the upper room, and that was the tomb of the patriarchs, where you go in and there's the tomb of Abraham, and the tomb of Sarah, and the tomb of Isaac, and the tomb of Rebecca, and the tomb of Jacob, and the tomb not of Rachel, but of Leah. I've got pictures on my phone of the tomb of Leah because it moved me so much from this passage of scripture. Jacob started out saying, only give me what's beautiful. But when it was all over, he said, my, look what Leah has brought to my life. Let me tell you, some things in life, the devil wants you to think it's just pertinence, unsavory, the things in life that we don't want. But if you'll learn to live in prayer and fasting and faithfulness and holiness, the things that the world says that we shouldn't want, if you'll learn to live with that, you'll find that it will produce something in your life that all the great shouts can't. That all the charismatic services can't. It'll produce a, a strength and stability in you that'll make you able to make it through the journey. Can I, can I preach just one more verse to you? I'm coming to a close. Exodus 12 and 11, and thus shall ye eat it. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He said, look, all of this, all of this, the lamb, the blood, the hyssop, the blood on your house, the bitter herbs, the pertinence, all of this together is of no value at all. If you just kill the lamb, eat the lamb, Put the blood on your house and you sit here and stay in Egypt. All of this 
All of this process is nothing if you don't get up and walk with God. Let me tell you, the most important part of the whole story is getting out of Egypt. And so when we come to the house of the Lord, we understand that what happens in here is not intended for us to sit at the table and eat the lamb and enjoy it and say, man, wasn't that good? Mm-mm-mm. The whole purpose of it is for us to eat the lamb and then walk with God. And we ought to walk until we reach our promised land. Listen, I've known folks that walked with God for years and died in the wilderness because they quit. I've known people that walked with God for years. I've known people that retained their integrity and kept their reputation for year after year, for years, for decades, only to ruin it in their old age by some foolish decision. Oh, God, how many of us have known anybody that's, that, that, that they just they didn't walk all the way to the promised land? Eat the lamb, but understand that the whole purpose of the lamb is so we can get out of Egypt. A lamb for every man. So what I'm trying to get to tonight is for us to understand that in this journey towards our promise, there's some bitterness, there's some pertinence, there's some blood, but there's also some lamb and some rejoicing and deliverance. So let's not stop. Let's keep walking with God. Let's keep serving him. Let's not get weary and well-doing and get tired here. Let's keep on, let's understand that God is trying to get us ready for that promised land. Look, we're living in a dangerous and a wicked and a trial, a trying time. We're living in a generation that it's gonna get easier and easier to backslide. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That's what the Bible said. In the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he says, and that time shall not come unless there be a great falling away first. I don't want any of you to be part of that falling away. And so let's, when we come in here, let's not mess around and goof off and play around. Let's eat the lamb. And when we walk out these doors, let's walk with the lamb. And let's walk with God. Amen. Let's not just get it in here, but let's walk with him. Let's get it with our shoes on. Amen. Why don't you stand and lift your hands to heaven. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you if you're watching online. Let's pray right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you help me to serve you. God, I've, I've touched on a lot of subjects in these 11 verses, God. Lord, I want to believe that right now while we're in your house praying that somewhere out there somebody is in Egypt. And God, you're getting ready to speak to them while they're in their land of bondage. And God, I pray you do it. There's children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters of people that are in this room right now, God, that need you to speak to them in their Egypt land. God, I pray that you help us, Lord, not just to be picky eaters when it comes to your presence, but God, help us to consume the lamb. Help us to have the blood on the outside and the flesh on the inside. Help us, God, to serve you and help us, oh God, to walk with you. God, help me to realize that all of what you do in the house of God, all that you do in our lives, all, all the word and the worship and the presence and the power and all the things that you bless us with, that God, in the end, it's intended for, you, for us to walk with you. I don't want to have church house only religion, but God, I want to have my walking shoes on and walk, walk with you 
all the way to my promise, God. Lord, in Jesus' name. Oh, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. I ask you, God, to give them strength for their journey, for their trials, for their circumstances. I ask you, God, to bless their homes. I pray a blessing over this church family, God, over every marriage, every home, every child, mind, body, and spirit, God, in the natural and the spirit, Lord. I pray, God, give them spiritually the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And God, help us walk with you all the way to our promise, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.